Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the JDA Football Podcast slash Saturday Sports and Sounds. Now, upcoming on this show, Wales feel the Danish drive in Amsterdam. England beat rivals Germany for the first time since 1966 in a competitive competition, and Switzerland shot the world champions in Bucharest. All of that and much more to come on this show. Start off with England now. They beat Germany 2-0, the first win over Germany in a major tournament knockout game since 1966, like I said in the intro. And we all know what happened after that game in 66, don't we? But we'll look at the first performance and what did you think of the performance to start off with? Because it seemed to be that we were passing too slow from the back in the first half. I don't know about you, Joe. I think we played a lot better in the second half. But as, as a whole... I don't think we played particularly amazingly. I think the, the Germans just dropped off after nothing came from there, like half an hour of domination in the first half because it got off to a really slow start for us. As you say, we were passing it back too much, just fannying around. And um, we got a bit of an attacking mindset. And that's what got us two goals. But all in all, I don't think it was a particularly good performance from us. It was just an exciting game because of the two goals. Yeah, um, Alex, the first half, it seemed to be Maguire and most of the time had to come out of the back three to go into the spaces and find the balls in behind because the, the wing-backs were just dropping too deep, really, weren't they? Or just staying too wide. Yeah, as you said, we were very conservative in the first half. Um, yeah, Harry Maguire was really the only one taking the ball forward rather than Raheem Sterling, I think. Um, and then, other than the late chance of Harry Kane in the, set, in the first half, I think Germany... Although England controlled the play, were the better team. They had the more chances. Um, Pickford had to make a couple of good saves. But then in the second half, I think there was much more attacking intent. Uh, we bought on Jack Grealish for Bakayo Saka, who didn't really have a bad game. And then um, Grealish just ignited it. He set up both the goals. I think he made the pass for Shaw to put him to Sterling. And then, uh, obviously, for the second goal, he got the assist. And uh, I think with that performance and the performances he's had in the Euros, he has to start now. How, how long did it take for him to create an opportunity since he came on? I swear it was like two minutes or something. Yeah. He came on the 69 and we scored in 75. Wow. Staying with the midfield uh, with Jack Grealish, but we'll go on to his defensive partners really now. Declan Rice and Calvin Phillips after another enticing performance by them. So the in effect... Retired Tony Cruz, by the way, because he's retired today. 106 caps yeah. for Germany. So they've retired him basically, haven't they? Yeah, one game with Phillips and he's retired. The energy. Yeah, but on a real note, it, it, it was a great performance by them too, wasn't it? I, In my opinion, that was Rice's first good game. He's just been mediocre, as sometimes poor during this Euros. He's had his first good game this time. Yeah, I mean, coming up against Leon Goretzka and Tony Cruz in the midfield... You wouldn't get on a day-to-day basis, sorry, with Calvin Phillips from Leeds and West Ham's Declan Rice. I think they both coped really well. The German side of things, maybe something we could look for in the Ukraine game. They seem to pick the ball up, especially in the midfield. Kai Havertz started to pick it up between the defence and midfield. Is that something we need to watch out for against Ukraine? Because they did have a lot of chances, especially in the first half, from that certain area of the pitch. Yeah, I think it was when... Um... Calvin Phillips and Declan Rice were kind of caught out when they were trying to go forward for attacks and then they were caught out of position and then the um, the centre-backs that we had were kind of like stranded and then Kai Havertz pretty much had all the time in the world to, to play it through to some players, Werner and then um, I think it was Muller with that great chance uh, 
late into the second half as well. So, um, yeah, we definitely have to be wary about that. Obviously, the Ukraine don't carry as much attacking threat as Germany, but as you said, it is something we need to be mindful of. So what did, in effect, change in the second half? Because it didn't seem to be that Germany got as many chances, and when they did, Sterling nearly assisted Muller for a goal. So do you reckon we just tightened it up at the back and were solid in midfield? Because... Rice had a great performance, but he made like one or it was either like one or two errors in that first half that was a bit dodgy. But he still had a solid performance for the rest of the game. What do you reckon was different? Just tightening up at the back. Yeah, and I think we we applied a lot more pressure in the second half, and I think that did influence it quite a bit. So we'll move on to England's next game, which is against Ukraine Saturday at eight o'clock. The kickoff in Rome at the renowned. Stadio Olimpico Stadium. No England fans in attendance, really, with England not being able to travel to Italy. How much will that affect? Because we've had home ground, really, since the start of the tournament, haven't we? Is it going to be a bit of a change of mindset going into the game in Rome, Alex? Yeah, I think definitely. Uh, against Germany, especially, uh, I think the home fans really, really pushed them to, to the last. And ultimately, that's pretty much what's won us the game. Um, but again with the quality players that we have, you'd expect us to be pushed by themselves against um, not a, a bad side in Ukraine, but definitely one you wouldn't expect to play at this level of the competition. Um, so, yeah, I think it will have a, a very big effect on the players, but they should have enough quality to get over the line. Yeah, the three players to watch out for, really. Yarlamenko, uh, of course, West Ham. Yoram Chuk, he plays for uh, Ghent in... Belgium uh, and then Zinchenko of Manchester City those are the three to watch out for anything to worry about after that game that, against Sweden of course they've played an extra 30 minutes of, from extra time so is that something that's going to be a key factor in this game with them pay, playing that extra 30 in fatigue and momentum and stamina going into this game yeah no, I don't think so I think they should be able to cope with it to be honest yeah should, should the levels be high enough because these Premier League players I've just mentioned two of them then Alex they're used to these high intensity games really yeah I think the only thing we need to do to, to reduce their goal threat is not give them enough time all the goals they've scored realistically Yarmolenko and Zinchenko and all them they've just been long range goals where they've give, they've been given too much time on the ball to, to shoot and I think if we do play Rice and Phillips or even Rice and Henderson um, if they don't give the strikers and midfielders enough time to shoot then I think we should be fine defensively and then attacking it should realistically sort itself the officials got released today, I believe. Um, a bit of a shock in there. All of the officials for the game, including VAR, are all German. So is it a bit of payback time for for them against us, would you say? Or do you reckon they'll keep it a fair playing round? And keep it professional. Uh, I hope uh, they can keep it professional. Yeah, I'm sure they will. I'm sure they will. Wales now, Denmark 4, Wales nil. Sort of Wales dismantled in Amsterdam in a way, wasn't it, Alex? The Nice youngster, Kasper Dolberg, scored a brace, which followed up by Joachim Mele, goal and Barcelona striker Martin Braithwaite in the 94th minute. What went wrong for Wales in this big match against the Nordic nation? I think it was just they were kind of overrunning midfield, uh, obviously with... Joe Allen, who's getting on a bit. Um, Joe Morell, who all tournament, I've not really known why he's been starting. He just hasn't really kept up with the play. And 
with Delaney and Hoybier and even Mailer and Larson pushing up into midfield, they were just overrun at, at pretty much all the times in, in the game. And then Rodon and Meppen couldn't uh, keep making the blocks. And even uh, Danny Ward, he's been good all tournament and he just uh, made a couple of good saves, but they had too many shots to, to keep out. And then obviously with a young squad in occasions like this with so many Danish fans there, um, it's going to be hard for them to, to keep up with the spirit of the Danish team and, Ultimately, Denmark had the the better players and more like morale in the team and everything. So, I think that really pushed them to to win the game. Gareth Bale had a like a massive impact. He unreeled Denmark really in that first ten minutes. Joe, did the big players in this tournament for Wales step up enough? I think they did in the group stages. I think they did surprise quite a few people in the group stages, but I don't think they showed up enough in this game. Uh, I don't think that's what let them down. Because realistically, it's the bigger players um, that have to carry Wales. Not carry, but they have to drive Wales. Because um, they have a lot of youth and they have a lot of smaller players. So they need to be driven by someone like Bale um, to sort of just hold them together. And I don't think he stepped up enough this game. I know it's hard. Like I'm not um, slagging him off or anything because it would be a really tough job for him to do. But... Um, He's done it in the past and he should have done it this game. It didn't help Kiefer Moore starting really, did it, Alex? Because he started all tournament for Wales in the starting 11 for each and every game and then he doesn't start in this game. Was that a major factor? Because, I mean, he scored what those two of the goals that he scored out of Wales is all of the goals in the tournament. So was he a massive factor why he's been missed in this game and they've lost? Yeah, definitely with the, the three centre-backs of Denmark as well, three big, strong centre-backs who we really struggled to to break down at some points. And then I think if Kiefer did start, then we would have had a bit more malice going forward. But obviously we were restricted in the uh, amount of shots we could have because we didn't have that big number nine in up top. So uh, it was pretty hard in, in that uh, respect. But ultimately that's down to the manager, Rob Page. So, um, yeah, but... I uh, I have no worries about the next tournament. Were you a Wales fan, Alex? Are you an England fan? Uh, I, I've, I'm in England in the football and uh, Wales in the rugby. But if Wales are on, I'll support Wales. Okay, but if it was England versus Wales? I'd support England. But in the rugby, it would be Wales? Yes. Okay. I can, I can respect that for you. I can respect that. I can't. <laughs> um, <laughs> Just quickly staying on this red card situation with Harry Wilson, Alex, was that a red card because Robbie Savage on commentary was having a go at the ref saying it wasn't? Was it quite harsh, that red card? I think, I don't think it was a red card. In any other game or situation, it probably wouldn't have been. It's definitely yellow because he has just kicked him off the ball. But um, I think with the intensity that the game was was at and with the amount of heat that some of the Wales players were, were feeling 4-0 down late on, uh, it was definitely hard. And then, um, obviously, the, the referee probably saw that as well and just gave him a straight red. So it was definitely harsh, but it doesn't mean much in the, in the grand scheme of things. Now, what can Wales take into the next World Cup next year, Joe, in Qatar? Hopefully a bit of, an ex- a bit of experience, same as Scotland. I... Um... And four years of training together, because now that they know that they can progress in a, a com- competition, I think it should propel them forward and maybe they can make it to the quarters of the semis next year. Yeah. In the World Cup, Alex, are Wales sort of now expected to get out of the group, would you say? 
Oh, I, I'm not sure. Because, like, realistically, Wales shouldn't have got out of the group in, in, in this competition. Like, you'd probably say everyone in their group is better than them. Um, but ultimately, they haven't. And that's somewhat they can take into, into the next one. And you'd probably even say that Scotland have a better squad than them. So, uh, as you said, they can definitely take this into the next tournament. But I don't think that people should put these sort of expectations on because it is still a young squad and you never know in three or four years, Bale, Ramsey and Joe Allen and all them players might even be playing international football. So this young group of players have to progress into the next tournament and there's no reason why they can't, but they have to keep their heads screwed tight on. Moving on to the big games that happened this week, starting off with the Sunday games where the Netherlands checked out of the Euros with a 2-0 defeat to the oh, Czech Republic. Hey. Thomas Hulz and Malin at the moment, Patrick Schick getting the crucial goals for the Czechs. I mean, nobody expected it, but it didn't help that uh, Matthias de Ligt got sent off, did it, Alex? No, I mean, it was definitely a red card, but you, you can't help but feel sorry for him. He has pretty much lost them that game because they were very firmly on top until that point. Um, but I think the main reason is the Netherlands just didn't create any chances. Uh, they were on top most of the game. They were passing the ball around quite nicely, but they didn't create any chances for Depay. And then I think Malin missed a, a very good chance, but he was saved by the goalkeeper. Uh, and then the Czechs were just very clinical. Um, two goals pretty late on Patrick shit to seal it so yeah I've, I can't help but say they deserved it Now we'll move on to the later game that was also on the Sunday the holders are out Portugal with Belgium getting the decisive goal in Sevilla Joe is it concerning that Portugal had 23 shots and only 4 on target and had the majority of the ball with 58% possession Definitely I think Ronaldo is going to be very disappointed with this because he, he did set up a lot of goals uh, or goal-scoring opportunities. Uh, and he did have a few himself. And um, I think he could have played better. But I think as a whole, you have to have a look at the team. And um, they just didn't play very well as a unit. It's a bit weird because they have the star names and they were sort of working well together in the group stage games. But when it came to this game, Alex, they just... I don't know, not imploded, but they just didn't, like Joe said, just didn't work together as a unit. Yeah, I think they can't really get their midfield in shape. They've changed it around. I think uh, this one they were playing Sanchez, Moutinho and Palina, um, which I don't think they've played together in the Euros yet. And if you're going into a game of such high quality like this one against Belgium, you have to kind of stick with the same group of players who know what it's like to play with each other. Um, so definitely like changing the midfield around didn't help, but then again, Diogo Jota has been so clinical for, for Liverpool this year. Same with Cristiano Ronaldo for Juventus. So you have to uh, lay a finger on like some of these big players that, that haven't turned up. Um, I don't think they've particularly impressed at all this Euros. Um, not just this game. So I think, uh, well, I personally could see a defeat coming along the line. But I don't think it should have been this game. And um, yeah, I think it all just fell apart more than it already had. They just couldn't put the ball in the net. It seemed to be like the the four on shots that they did have on target were sort of mostly goal worthy, but in the end, 
it doesn't count for anything because they're not moving into the next stage. So it's a bit of a failure, really, by them. Well, all the shots they, that they had seemed to be dead rushed. It always seemed to be they get a ball and they shot straight away because they were like, someone was going to tackle or anything. Um, and it felt like if they'd slowed down just a little bit and de-stressed when they were on the ball, they could have had a few more shots on target, which would have inevitably led to a goal. But everything was just so, like, stressy rather than taking your time on the ball. It was like everyone's trying to get rid of it and just throw it at their goal, and it just didn't work. Yeah. Speaking about being stressed, did anybody see Zhao Felix in the last minute of the game take the ball up? We've seen a couple of last-minute winners. He's got the ball on the left. He's cut inside. Everyone thinks he's going to cross it in to, uh, I think it was Ronaldo maybe at the back post. What does he do? He just goes for the goal, shoots, shoots and, and it goes really, really, yeah, it drags it far of the left post. 123 million, 130 million. Of, I was shouting point. him. I was like, Ronaldo's there. He's there. He's there. Ronaldo's got his head on that. Looking at the wing back for uh, Belgium, though, Thorgan Hazard, he's got a pile driver of a goal, didn't he? That was an absolute rocket. Yeah. It's a bit, goal- it was a bit disappointing from... Um, the, the goalkeeper, Patricio. But um, yeah, it was a brilliant strike. We'll move on to the Monday games now. Uh, an extraordinary events from this first game, which we'll talk about. A colossal game of goals with Spain beating Croatia 5-3 with two goals in eight minutes for Croatia's for Croatia, Orisic and Palasic. But those goals didn't count in the end with Morata and Mikel Orithabal scoring two goals in three minutes. It was an incredible game to watch. I mean, I don't think anybody expected it to be this good, but it prevailed in the end of Spain winning and facing Switzerland, which is currently taking place now. Why was Spain so good that match? And was it a bit shaky when it went to extra time, Alex? I think one of the things they've improved on is pretty much clinicalness. Um, in the first one or two games in the, they had in the group stage, everyone was complaining about they were playing very nice football, like 80, 85% possession every game. Um but they just weren't shooting. They weren't taking their chances. And I think this is what they've um, tried to implement in their game. They played a bit more attacking midfielders rather than Busquets and, um, and Thiago. They played Pedri, who was unlucky to get the own goal. I think it was mostly the goalkeeper's fault for that one. Um, but that really left some holes late on in their defence. Um, Orsic, and I think it was Pasalic that scored... 90 plus two, and I think that was um, one of the deciding moments. But ultimately, uh, Croatia really didn't have enough in extra time. And Spain had a lot of good players on the bench that they could bring on, uh, and they really ignited it in extra time. The later game now was absolutely breathtaking, with France and Switzerland drawing three all, with the Swiss coming from 3-1 down to take the game into extra time, and then penalties with a Swiss shock, winning 5-4 on penalties. French phenomenon... Kylian Mbappe missing the all-important penalty with a strong hand from Borussia Mönchengladbach goalkeeper Jan Sommer. But Joe, Mbappe, could people say he's bottled it? Yeah. He had an absolute shocker of a game. He missed the penalty. Um, Yeah, exactly. But can we really just blame it on the one guy? I mean, you would have easily labelled France to win this. Um... I think Pogba, even though he did play well, um, I don't think he moved. I I don't think he was 
good enough this year. I don't think anyone on the pitch really was for France. Switzerland, however, completely different story. Uh, underdog position completely, and they emerged victorious. Severovic scored two goals. It couldn't seem the whole game. It, you couldn't really say that the French back two of Kimpembe and Varane stuck with Severovic very well, could you, Alex? No, they just didn't really know what they were doing at some times. I was very disappointed when they took him off early in the, the first half of extra time, or I think it was, because he was just bullying them. Uh, Lengley, I think, had to come off at half time because he couldn't really control him. And yeah, they didn't really know what to do all game. And I think that's really what's lost the game for them. Because when uh, Rodriguez missed a penalty at 1-0 and they went 3-1 up, um, I thought he was done and dusted. But then Seferovic with his second great header of the game and then... Um, I don't know who's got the second one. I don't think I can't the name, but yeah, well played from, from Switzerland. But yeah, definitely France could have been more clinical and a lot better in defence. Yeah, I think it was Goranovic who got that last last minute winner. It was, what was it, 30 seconds to go or something. Uh, it was great to see. But Joe, the Granite Xhaka, what must Arsenal fans be thinking? He played absolutely brilliant in that game. You could have said five or three passes that he's just slotted through. And that one of them ended up in a goal in the last uh, in the last minute. Surely Arsenal fans are thinking, "What are we missing out on here?" Because he's going to Roma, isn't he, uh, in the summer? I think they'll be uh, regretting that decision. Also, like, where was that when he was playing for them? Like, he, he was okay. Yeah. He wasn't that good. He scored the odd free kick, didn't he? But yeah. <laughs> We'll move on to the big games of the quarterfinals that take place today on the Friday and the Saturday, which is tomorrow. Now, it's the ones that we've not spoken about, by the way, so we won't be talking about uh, the England game, really. So starting off with the first game, Switzerland-Spain. It's currently taking place, and Joe, you've just uh, mentioned off air, you could say, um, that it is one all at the moment. Yes. Obviously not when people hear this stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> my, my prediction is going to be... Um, it's going to go to, to penalties after it's one all. Uh, I think Zakari is going to score an own goal. I think Shakiri is going to score. And then, um, yeah. And then Switzerland are going to win on penalties. Again. Uh, I think it'll end up two on Switzerland. Just I'll go on Spain. two on Spain. Two on Spain. Boring. Two on Spain. Spain are going to win. Morata, last minute goal. <laughs> last minute own goal, you mean? Right, we'll move on to the biggest game, arguably, of this quarterfinal stage. Belgium versus Italy, number one ranked nation in the FIFA World Rankings. Belgium coming up against, you could say, the Italian Mafia. They're that good at the moment. So, Mafia. what's the score prediction, Alex, for this game? I, the one team I don't want to face in this Euros is Italy because the amount of drive their team's got now, like with the fans and everything, is immense. Um I think it's going to be 1-0 Belgium. What about you, Joe? 2-all. Belgium to progress on penalties. Oh. I reckon 1-all. Extra time. Locatelli scores as a substitute. Next game, Czech Republic versus Denmark. That's 5 o'clock today. It would be on the Saturday. Much score prediction for this one. Winner plays England. Go, Alex. 3-2 to the Czech Republic. 
three-one check. I'm gonna go two-one Denmark. I think this this might be the hardest one to predict. You know. Yeah, because you never know. Czech Republic might not even pop up like they have in the last couple of games, and Denmark could just do what they did to Wales and wipe them out clean. So. Or they can lose to Finland. Finland. No, oh. they lost. They oh, lost oh, 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 right, yeah, yeah, the first game, the first game, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's all of our score predictions done. Like I said before, we've done our score prediction for the Ukraine-England game. Um, England are going to win. It's coming home, isn't it, lads? It is. It might be now. It is, it is. I'm touching wood, fingers crossed. So we'll go on to the transfer news, general news, manager news. Alex, there's only one place to start off. Rafa Benitez, former Liverpool manager, won the Champions League in 2005. He's gone to Everton. What's your thoughts on this one? It's just a bit, as I said to you, it's a bit underwhelming. Um, seeing as we, we brought in Ancelotti last year, all this Champions League winner, um, but it's not really on the same scale now. Uh, he has won it with our arch-rivals, Liverpool. Um, the one good thing about him is he works very hard. I've seen a lot of things about him even sleeping at the training ground just to, to get things done. So if he can bring that mentality to the to the team, it'll be good. But it's it's just... It's, it's the fact that if he does well, he's going to make the Liverpool fans angry. And if he doesn't do well, he's going to make us angry for, for coming to our club after winning the Champions League with Liverpool and... Yeah, nearly getting us relegated. So, yeah, I'm, I still don't know what to think about it. Um, the the only positive, as I said, is that he, he might provide some more work weight to the squad. And I think that's what most of the fans have been desiring. Because uh, when you come to Goodison, like, if the, the players are willing to work as hard as the, the fans are willing to push them, then um, there's always a good atmosphere. And if he can bring that, uh, it'll only be positive. But, um, yeah, we'll just have to see how he does. Does this make the Merseyside derby an even bigger game, Joe? I mean, with a Liverpoolian as a manager, I think um, Everton is still going to get beaten. We beat them last time. <laughs> well, didn't they put out a crap team? No, there wasn't. That was no. the FA Cup on it. I thought it was yeah, we got oh, Van Dijk. Yeah. Van Dijk was injured though. But, so. Still, you got so the win. You that. got the win. We did that. There's a. There's um, only... Go on, Joe. When, when was the last time before that that you beat him? 2009. Is that why your microphone's shaking? Because you're crying. Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. I can't remember the last time we've lost against Birmingham, just to cheer you up. Yeah, well, you barely play Birmingham anymore. They're on, like, the conference or something. I know they're in the championship. Conference. Championship. So there's only one other manager, I believe, that's ever managed Liverpool and Everton, and that was in the 1800s. So there's a, there's a quick Jeez. fact here. <laughs> um, we'll go on to some uh, more manager news. Nuno Espirito Santos finally found a club after the starting eleven that Spurs had. Of all the managers, they finally found one with Nuno. What's your thoughts on this one, Joe? More negative football at Spurs again, could you say? Not going to lie, I thought this was confirmed a long time ago. Like I thought everyone saw it coming, but um, I think he could bring in a lot of Portuguese talent and maybe secure a trophy. But Kane might have left by then. So, um, is it enough? Is it, 
Alex, is it virtually the same as Mourinho, but just he's still not won any trophies and Mourinho is sort of a serial winner when it comes to trophies, usually? Yeah, I was going to say, like, if they've sacked Mourinho because of his style of play, they're not going to like Nuno's style of play at all. Um, I'm pretty sure that pretty much all the stats show that he's one of the least attacking managers in the league, plays five at the back almost every game. And if they do end up losing Kane, they're going to have to get someone because, as we've seen with him at Wolves, he relies on that big number nine to, to score the goals. And if he doesn't have Kane, I don't know who they're going to bring in. So uh, we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah. <laughs> Why would I? Yeah, I'd say that. He probably would. Uh, we'll move on to some transfer news very quickly. Uh, ben Gibson from Burnley is signed for Norwich on an £8.2 million contract. Uh, Emmanuel Dennis is signed from Club Bruce to Watford, £3.4 million. Uh, Romain Paroud is signed for Southampton. Where's he come from, Alex? Uh, French team. I don't know. I think they got relegated. Yeah. Um, and then staying with the French team, the midfielder, Boubere Kairi. Samari, I've completely said his first name wrong, joins Leicester from League One Champions Lille. Patterson is another latest signing uh, from, I don't know where he's from, but he's gone to Leicester, Salzburg. Uh, And then Billy Gilmore, the young upcoming talent for Chelsea, has moved to Norwich uh, on a loan deal for next season. And then to finish off Manchester United's two signings, the biggest one, Tom Heaton. No, I'm joking. Um, Tom Heaton is signed for Manchester United on a two-year deal. Uh, of course, he came through at the academy, so yeah, he's returned back to it's on Manchester a free, wasn't United. It? Yeah, on a free. Um, what so deal? Good things to expect. <laughs> well, we've got three number ones now, apparently, if the Heaton's one or four Romero, but yeah, and then Jaden Sancho to finish off comes to Manchester United on an eighty-five million pound deal to Manchester United. I mean, for He's me, number nine now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, for me, if you think about it, Pogba's not going to be playing on the wing anymore. We'll have Rashford, Cavani, and Sancho. Only other things we need is a centre back. Varane, fifty million. That looks like it could be maybe done, but you never know. And then, unless he wants a new contract, which Ramos did a couple of years ago, but we'll leave it at that. Uh, and then a new central defensive midfielder. But I've heard today we might have to fund that by selling Pogba which doesn't sound too mm. good. So, uh, I, I don't Wait, know about that one. Wait, as in you don't have enough num- money? Well, I think because we're going to be I spending... I think it's FFP. F- yeah. Oh. I thought we were just going to spend too much money in the end. But, <laughs> yeah, we could just pay them off Light City, but yeah, that was a buy from me. And me. And me. Bye.